Hi, welcome to the StoryWorth podcast. We're glad you're here. I'm your host, Krista Baum, co-founder of StoryWorth. On this podcast, we feature true stories written by StoryWorth writers. If you're new to StoryWorth, we help people write their life stories, the big stories and the small ones. Once a week, we send our writers a question to help inspire their writing. They reply to the email with an answer or story that comes to mind. At the end of the year, we print what they've written into a beautiful keepsake book. Every story written using StoryWorth is private, but for this podcast, the writers volunteered to share their stories publicly with you. Today's story takes place directly after World War II in Los Angeles, detailing the repercussions of the post-war housing crisis for a young family. Jean Troy, the author of today's story is here, along with her two siblings, Kenneth and Evelyn, to tell us more about this era of their lives. But before we talk to them, we're going to hear Jean's story, read by voice actress Chris Lyons, as Jean answers a question posed by her family. What was life like on the ranch? When the Second World War came to an end, our Los Angeles neighborhood rejoiced. Our men were coming home. My father never served in the war due to injuries he suffered in a fall, but he did serve our neighborhood as a block warden. This meant patrolling the streets during air raid sirens to make sure all lights were out and all blackout curtains were securely in place. He also held keys to the local school basement, which would serve as an air raid shelter in the event of an attack. Living on the West Coast, we lived in fear of this, but thank God it never occurred. Veterans returning home from war faced a huge housing shortage. The city tried to help by setting up what were called Quonset huts. They were long, arched structures of corrugated steel sheets originally designed as barracks for army bases. The city's housing authorities set up 750 of these surplus huts in Griffith Park. They called it Roger Young Village, and it was supposed to house up to 5,000 people. But soon it was full, so of course all rental and real estate prices started to rise. Landlords found ways to take advantage of the booming market to make a profit. Our own landlord decided to convert our rented duplex into a triplex, squeezing us out. We were served with an eviction notice. My parents had lived in that house as loyal tenants for almost 10 years. It was a shocking experience being forced out of our home. My parents started looking for a new place, but they already had three strikes against them. They were black, they had three children, and their income was considered less than acceptable. We were given 90 days to vacate but were unable to find any other housing. One of the features of our old neighborhood was that there were no secrets, and our misfortune caught the attention of at least one of our neighbors. Seeing my parents' desperation, he offered my father a place in Fontana, a small town about 50 miles outside Los Angeles. The neighbor truthfully described the property as nothing to write home about, but if my parents would help maintain the place, we could live there until they found something better. My father accepted the offer because time was running out. But more importantly, with this offer, he could shield us from the trauma of being evicted with all our belongings dumped on the sidewalk. When we children were informed of the move, we were told we were going to live on a ranch. Well, we kids had seen Roy Rogers and Hopalong casting movies, so we were giddy. With all our belongings piled in a rental trailer, we headed for the ranch. I remember our arrival. There was a lonely, white, one-bedroom house sitting in the middle of two acres of total desolation. There was absolutely nothing green in the yard. White stones marked the path to the front door. I recall seeing a mop hanging to dry on the back porch, visible through the window at the front of the house. 
and the back stood an outhouse made of old gray slats of wood which was ventilated by holes where the knots in the wood had simply fallen out. There was a small barn, I guess you could call it, and a pig pen, and a small chicken yard with a few chickens scattered around. As far as my family was concerned, we had hit rock bottom. I never asked my mother what she was thinking as she stared at that godforsaken place the first day, but I'm certain she was saying goodbye to her comfortable two-bedroom duplex with its hot and cold running water, spacious kitchen, bathroom with a tub, sink, and toilet, service ports for washing clothes, and her beautiful backyard. No more milk and grocery deliveries, vegetable vendors, and helmsman bakery trucks rolling through the neighborhood, and such easy access to stores and friends. She would not have these conveniences again for nearly four years. I believe if children are loved, they can survive anything. Even so, in those first few moments on the ranch, you can bet our fear and apprehension were mounting. But there was one thing I hadn't counted on. After all, Mama and Daddy were my Wonder Woman and my Superman. They were children of the Depression, and they were used to hardship. They had grown up without indoor plumbing. When they were young, they helped raise chickens and pigs. So the challenge on the ranch was daunting, but they knew what to do. And they did it. Within a month, my father had built a new chicken coop and reinforced the pig pen with the help of good-hearted neighbors. He repaired the outhouse and gave it a dignified coat of paint. My mother taught me how to plant a garden and irrigate it using overflow water from the nearby reservoir. I not only grew vegetables for us to eat, but also rows of flowers. My mother built flower boxes at the front of the house to add splashes of color to the desolate place. Little by little, it became home. In time, we children got used to heating water for cooking, cleaning, and bathing. We learned what a chamber pot was for and how to fill a galvanized metal tub for our bath and then empty it to get it ready for the next person in line. My mother even found a place to do our laundry so she wouldn't have to do the wash by hand. Yes, children who are loved can survive anything and get used to anything. It's funny, when I look back on those days, I don't remember the hardship. What I do recall is the warmth of our neighbors and the fun of picking my own vegetables. I remember sitting in the backyard together on hot summer evenings, watching all the rich people passing by, returning from their day trips in the mountains. And I can still see the sight of the moon, just a dot in the night sky, surrounded by millions of flickering stars. This is such a treat to have all three of you here. Would you mind introducing yourselves to our listeners? Okay, well, I'm Jean Troy. I live in Pasadena. I've been married 62 years. I have three kids, and I'm started on the great-grandkids. My name is Kenneth Harris, and I am the brother to Jean Troy and Evelyn Faust. I currently reside in Scottsdale, Arizona. I've lived here for approximately 31 years. I'm the youngest. I'm the brat. <laughs> my sister and then my brother, then myself. Basically, anything would go wrong at home. Those two, the older ones, would always tell me to go tell mom and dad so that the impact would be a little different. <laughs> and Jean, you're the author of our story today. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. How did you get started with StoryWorth? What happens was my older son, the Christmas gift... He gave me very worth. I felt like I couldn't let him down by not participating. So I started answering the questions. And that was basically how the story got written. 
my older son precipitated me doing this. And I'm so glad he did because this story is definitely one of my favorites that I've gotten to read throughout this whole process. So how did you, the children, find out about the eviction? Well, we did, we noticed my mother started packing and, you know, you know, uh, my parents were very close. And so, you know, every evening they would talk about things. They wouldn't talk to us directly. And then my brother and I remember that we were in someone's basement the night before we moved. And we remember that it wasn't really <laughs> very nice. It wasn't what we were used to. And my mother just told us it was going to be okay. So we believed her. And, you know, the next day, that's when we went to Fontana. In those days, older people didn't talk to this. Uh, you know, they just, you did what mom and dad said. <laughs> when we heard that Mr. Rose had offered his ranch, my brother and I, we had gone to, with my parents to see movies at the local show. And so on those, in those movies, they'd have shorts. You know, it'd be about a saga with the stagecoach falling off the cliff and everybody going after it. And so that we thought our number ranch was horses and cows and hitting horses and, you know, roping and all that kind of stuff we actually saw. <laughs> never ending pastures of green rolling hills, smatterings of cows and horses and sheep and things of that nature. That was our vision of a ranch. Do you guys remember what was going through your minds when you stepped out of the rented truck and saw the ranch? I don't know how my brother felt, but I was totally disappointed. <laughs> I was like, oh. Well, me, I had just the opposite effect. It, to me, it was just like a, a world of wonderment. It was moving from concrete and asphalt to open fields of dust and dirt and sagebrush and unpaved roads I was just eyes wide open. I mean, it was sensory overload. I mean, it was a different smell to the environment completely, uh, country or rural life as opposed to city life. It was so radically different being so young and having had no experience outside of a one block radius while living in the city. This was just amazing. Jean, in your story, you talk about wondering what your mother was thinking once you got to the ranch that there were a lot of modern comforts you had to give up. Which was the most challenging to work without? There was no indoor plumbing. The water was accessed outside the house, and she had to bring the water into the house to heat it. I don't know how she did it. I really don't, because I don't know if I could have done it without losing my mind. I don't know how my sister feels, but I know personally, if I can't turn on a faucet and the water gets hot, I'm like, what? <laughs> Not only one, but sometimes as many as three of us bathed in the same water. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that much effort. Who could blame you? I get it. I stick both of my kids in the same bathtub. Yeah, to trek that water back and forth for three different people? Uh, no way. It was better for us just to share the water that was on hand. Three in and call it a night. Yep. Did you have to draw from your experience living at the ranch any time in your future? Oh, well, of course. I mean, I'm putting it like it was a hardship and it was in certain ways, but in other ways, like the our neighbors down the way, they had a cow and a goat and turkeys and stuff. And she taught me about milk, how you had to clean the udders. When I was in high school and stuff and the, and the 
People would come about it. I was able to give them insight, sometimes just psychologically, as we're talking now, when something goes wrong in today's age and in the modern world, I think I survived Fontana. Damn it, I can survive anything. So then I do it. How did your parents respond to this giant change in your day-to-day lives? Did they try to make it fun for you guys, despite some of the more challenging aspects of ranch living? We don't know how they did it. Don't know. (laughs) But I had decided that I wanted to play the piano. Somehow, my father got me a piano. Now, you know, you think, here we are in this one-bedroom house, living in the middle of nowhere. Why the heck would he buy me a piano? But he did. And so I took piano lessons and my mother scraped money together. And we used to go to piano concerts at the high school so that I could see how professional pianists played. And then my brother has another part that he didn't think was so great. But when people came over, my mother would make us perform for guests. (laughs) But those are treasured memories that make us laugh every time we think about it. My mother had her learn to play certain songs. And then in addition to that, she would have me stand and sing to the accompaniment of my sister. And the real issue was, was whenever someone came to Fontana to visit for whatever reason, we were called upon to perform, to put on a concert. And uh, (laughs) no matter who, what, or why, this had to be done. This was mandatory as far as she was concerned because she was very proud of the fact of what she had accomplished. She'd come to this godforsaken place and managed to uh, procure a a piano and had her children in a position to where they were able to perform and show people what they had learned since they'd been there. Oh, good for her. Do you remember any songs that you sang? Yeah, we remember, the, what was it, Little Brook? <laughs> Little Brook, yes, yes, yes. Do you remember it? Can you sing it? They all hated it. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah, we remember it. Oh, great. <laughs> with pain. <laughs> yes. With pain, with pain, yes. No matter what I happened to be doing outside, whenever someone came, I had to come in, put on a clean shirt, comb my hair, stand beside the piano, Jeannie would play, and I would sing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it it was torture, but you know what? We we had to do it. That was one thing I escaped because I was too young. (laughs) She's the baby. Oh, the baby doesn't have to do that. (laughs) So this move was, of course, super sudden and had to have been a huge upheaval for all of you. Do you remember ever feeling scared about your circumstances? Well, with me, I wasn't afraid because I had my mom and dad. So to Kenneth's mind... I could do anything. They were Superman and Superwoman, as far as we were concerned. So we felt safe because we had them. And I bless him every day for it because he spent hours, countless hours, just sitting and talking with me, making sure that I understood everything that I engaged uh, throughout the course of a day to find out how I, I felt about it and how I could have better handled myself in certain situations. I can't say enough wonderful things about him. Uh, I almost get emotional sometimes when I start to talk about him. And he was kind of before his time as far as we girls were concerned, because believe you me, he and my mom made sure we girls also were armed and knew exactly what to say and what to do, how to handle ourselves. Like, you know, as we got older, it was like you don't leave the house without money so that if something is uncomfortable, you can say, excuse me, bye and go and pay a taxi to come home. 
So we knew that. And we knew we could call him at any time and he would come and get us. So we always had that security of knowing that they were there for us. We were number one as we're concerned, you know, so that we wouldn't be abused or mistreated in any way. But I always look at my mother and father as salt and pepper. My mother was the spice. When something got her hackles up on her back about something, she would go nutball crazy. My dad was the salt, the calm, the logical, the processor. And he would back her up in every aspect to ensure that whatever she had finally wound herself into to make a point, then he was there as her support. So that's where the two of them supported us because we would come home with our issues, our concerns, and she would look at it, make an assessment. And if it got her crazy, my dad had to be there to say, whoa, hold on a second, let's talk about this. And they would get it organized and then they would go um, to take care of whatever the situation was. So that's where we really felt comfortable the fact that they took care of us. Well put. You guys won the lottery with your parents, huh? You know, we did. (laughs) So in your story, you conclude with a really lovely sentiment that when you reflect on this time on the ranch, you remember the joy and warmth of it all, more than the hardships. How much of that experience would you say was created by your parents? And looking back, it's all as a result of our parents, insofar as I'm concerned. They taught us really everything we needed to know to, be, to get along with people and to do whatever it was we wanted to do in life. And with that attitude, it wasn't one that they, they just taught. It was one that they gave us examples of continuously as we interacted with them and watched them working around other people. So it was very easy for us to adopt that philosophy. Well, they clearly did an incredible job with you. And I'm so glad that you'll be able to share their legacy with your family through these stories. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to get started writing your life stories or want to give the gift of StoryWorth to a loved one, head over to storyworth.com slash podcast. In our next episode... Yeah, it's halfway around the world, just about seemingly, or at least 12 time zones. (laughs) You know, we'd never really kind of thought there would be necessarily any problem, but on that particular occasion... A most unusual experience in Russian airspace, far from our writer's home. StoryWorth is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, hosted by me, Krista Baum, and produced by Hannah Ray Leach. We get production help from Jill Granberg, and our mix engineer is Eric Coltnow. We'll see you next time.